From somewhere deep within the absurdity of the world, cocooned in this vehicle, traveling from one destination to another, only seeing the world through the veil occasionally. But there is one theme that seems to define this collective experience. Unless you figure a way out of this vehicle, you'll never be able to see the big picture. My name is Gabe Wells, and this is the Saturated Life Podcast. Episode number 10, with the LA graffiti artist and oil painter, Don Saro. Um, Don is my middle name, but nobody calls me. My parents gave me an American first name to make me, you know, they said, oh, we can't give you an Armenian name as your first name. So they gave me an American name and nobody calls me by and everybody thinks my American name is hilarious. So, you know, I, I go with Vaughn. I've always pretty much gone with Vaughn since I was, since I was young. And it's just one of those things where I have this formal American first name that just doesn't make much sense. So yeah, okay. so Vaughn and, and Sato is, see, my parents couldn't even figure out what the hell to name me. So they gave me three names okay. and Vaughn and Sato were my two middle names. So, you know, basically that's what everyone knows me as. It's a good name. It's an excellent name. That's what I was asking. So it's so you're you're from your your parents are from Armenia. Is that what you said? All right. So yeah, I'm actually mixed. Um, my dad is Ukrainian. Okay. And my mom is Armenian. My mom was born in um, Jordan and then grew up in Baghdad and then you know ran away from Baghdad when she was 18. Then they ended up in Canada. And then I ended up here. So it's like, you know, skipping all over the world. Wow. So you live in Los Angeles? I lived in Los Angeles for about half my life. And then, yeah, yeah. And then the first half of my life was in Canada. It's really strange. I went from like a small rural town in Canada that was right on the Washington border of the United States. And I went from that to Los Angeles. It's just like, you know, very different. I mean, I was, I was like, I'm. Once I came here, I'm like, holy shit, I'm never going back to to where I came from. <laughs> it, it rains about 250 days a year up there, and it's just like d- dark and dreary, you know. So everybody just, I guess, drinks. You know, that's how that's how they deal with it. A lot of alcohol. So I'm like, there's got to be something more to life than that. I didn't want to grow up just, you know, being an alcoholic, working at a dockyard or something, you know. Yeah. So, did you start with graffiti, or did you start like with some other medium? I mean, it's it's hard to say because I mean, as artists, we all played with crayons. So I would say yeah. crayons was what I started with. But um, you know, I always drew in my like, especially when it rains all the time. You know, you gotta have something to do. Drawing was my thing, and I got my first spray can when I was 11 years old. I was going through some shit in the garage and I found a spray paint can. <laughs> and from that moment, I fell in love with it. So, really? Awesome. You know, I remember, yeah, I remember vividly, like 11 years old, just going through my neighborhood and just wrecking it, tagging and, <laughs> and writing, writing my name and writing whatever. I went to my elementary school and I just ripped it up, you know, like writing every obscene <laughs> thing I could on the wall. And I remember my dad was even like, because I, I tagged up, you know, all over my street, right in front of my house as well. And my dad's like, did you do that? You know, I'm like, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. But, you know, and my mom being 
uh, an immigrant didn't really understand. Like, you know, I would be like 13 years old and I'd have a backpack full of spray paint cans. And she thought that I was doing a normal thing. Like I would be very, I'd be like, I'm going to go out to paint walls. And she's like, okay, be safe. You know, she oh, had no uh, <laughs> idea that, you know, and when you're young, you've got, you've got balls to do things. I mean, yeah. I used to do it in broad daylight with, in rush hour, you know, I didn't care. I'm like, what are they going to do? You know, you, you just, you don't feel any sort of fear for consequences. So, you know, you're pretty destructive at that age. And I, you know, I, was, I, I caused my fair share of damage, I would say. And then um, once I came here, that's when it was more of, you know, trying to do murals. Whether they were at a legal spot or an illegal spot, it wasn't about tagging at that point. I was, I grew out of that, and I was, I was just figuring I, I want to paint things that actually look nice. Plus, with the, um, with the culture of of tagging here and how it was mixed in with gangs, and in those days there were a lot of problems between guys who tagged and the gangs. I just didn't want to have um, really to deal with that, you know. I just what I I figured when I'm painting, I don't want to deal with with violence, you know. Yeah. Violent. I, I chose art to get away from violence because, you know, I did have a violent upbringing, and paint was my painting and drawing was an escape from that. So I didn't want to kind of get sucked back into the world of violence through painting when it was yeah. supposed to be my my outlet from it, you know. Yeah, yeah, I had kind of a similar experience. It was an outlet, and my dad was kind of violent. So I, instead of becoming violent, I like did what you did, like kind of used art and and went away from it. Yeah. So for for a kid, it's therapeutic, you know. When yeah. when all you know is that the fist answers all problems and everything is dealt with violently, you know, um, for a kid, it really screws you up psychologically. But then when you got something that you can like you know, pour your soul into and there's no violence, no, you can say what you want, do what you want. Nobody's going to hurt you. It's, it was really, um, it was a very important part of my, of, of my, my sanity. I think. I think that's actually used as therapy for kids as well. There's something about it. There's something like, I don't know. Um, it's a release of some kind. I don't know what it is. It's some subconscious, maybe because yeah. you work with your subconscious when you're kind of painting, you know, maybe it is well, like I a subconscious release. I, I totally agree. And most of my drawing, like when I, I know my mom kept so much of it, you know, I go back and look at drawings and most of my drawings were pretty um, violent in yeah. there um, in what I was showing. But I think that was a way of getting, you know, a lot of the, the, the demons out, you know, in a, in a more productive way. But, you know, there was a period of time where I kind of put down um, the even spray paint cans. I wasn't doing it. I was just fighting. You know, and oh, wow. when I, for a couple of years, it was just, I didn't care about drawing. I didn't care about any of that. I just wanted to, you know, hurt people. And what age was that from? Like what, what span? That was, that would have been like 14 to 16. And those mm -hmm. two years, I, I, I got into so much shit, you know, I mean, it, 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 I'm thankful that I lived through those two years. And then after that, I'm like art became much more important to me because I, I kind of made the connection between art and being a more peaceful human being was connected into my art. So so it's saying I got to do something different with my life because this is not the way to, to continue on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I had an epiphany like that as well. I want to kind of ask about graffiti because I don't, I'm not, I've never tagged, I've never done anything like that. So 
when you're at, so you said there's like legal spots and illegal spots. So I always think about that. So somebody like you, you always do legal spots now. They just have designated walls. Now somewhere. I do. Yeah, I'm over 30 years old. You know, I mean, I I will from time to time do. If there's a really dope illegal spot that I just that keeps calling me, I might do something. But it's few and far between now at my age. You know. Did you go to art school? Not really. Um, what I did do was. There's a there was a small little school called LA Academy of Figures of Art. At that time, it was really small. They just you know had um, these night classes, and I took a few classes there. And one of the teachers and I became friends. And I needed a new place to live. He needed a roommate. I uh, moved into to his house, paid him rent, and would pay him money to to basically help me out, show me how to draw, show me how to oh, wow. do things. And I did that for about eight months. And then after that, I was on my own. And I just kind of fumbled through the rest on my own. So I, I never got like a formal education, but I do feel like the education I did get was really valuable. Yeah, because what you do with spray paint, they really look like paintings. Like you could have been out there with a brush doing this work. When I first started doing things like portraits and stuff on walls, the only other guy that I knew of in the, on the West Coast that was doing it was um, Mac. And, um, you know, there were guys in Europe doing it. That medium has really grown a lot. And I've gone more and more into the brush because that's what pays the bills. And tried to put my time now into the brush and perfecting my skills there. And actually, I have this weird idea that I'm going to start uh, playing around with. Actually, probably this month is um, doing graffiti oil paintings. Because everyone's using a can now. Like, the can went from being the... the the, you know, picking up a Krylon can was was like a real street thing. It had nothing to do with fine art. But now all these fine artists are using spray paint cans. So I'm like, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to take the brush into the street and see what happens. Yeah. So we'll see. I'm interested in seeing how it's going to turn out. But, you know, I figure I, I, I want to try something else. You know, I want to I want to bring something new into, into the graffiti scene to, to make it seem new again or make it seem different and how long have you been a professional artist like you this is all you do right yes yeah, all i do now but you know back in the days when i was learning how to draw and paint um you know i had to work any job i could get to pay bills and you know i even when i was when i first became a professional artist i was still doing shit like delivering pizzas you know working any odd job i could get you know to pay rent so it's been about two years now that just paint, that's what makes my living. And, and, you know, I've got, thankfully, more work now that I can handle. So, you know, I'm blessed, and I hope it continues. It probably will, man. Your, your work is fantastic. Thanks. For sure. What was, like, a, uh, a catalyst for you? What really helped you get into that next stage? Um, oh, you mean in terms of what happened in the, the business? That, yeah, how did you start? You know, well, um, at first, you know, you do every little show at every gallery. Um, usually, you don't sell much of anything. And this gallery called La Luz de Jesus in Hollywood said, you know, we've got a big group show that we try out new artists. We like your work. Show something. So I did, and then I did well at that show. They gave me a contract. And since then, you know, once once they signed me and put their, you know, seal of approval on me, after that, things just you know, ha haven't stopped rolling, you know? So okay. it's just one thing to another to another to another. 
and I'm still with them right now, and I've got a solo show with them in October. Okay, and that's what you're that's what you're working on right now. You said you got some uh, some new types of ideas coming out from uh, yeah. your your DMT experience. Yeah, the DMT experience has. I mean, that that shit is just life changing, and you gotta you gotta include it in your work. Every artist I know that that has done it, it's affected not just their lives, but you know the things that they paint. I mean, I don't know if that experience is. It could be nothing more than an extreme psychological trip where you just went deep into your own mind, and that in itself is fascinating. But you know, if if it really is a launching pad into whether you want to call it another dimension or spiritual experience, it it, it shows you that whether it's your mind or whether it's the universe, it's things are fucking bizarre, man. Like, yeah really really strange you know we live in this material world where everything is solid and you know it is what it is we're used to it and we as human beings think that's it you know we we, we have an arrogance to us we think we know we know what it is well we can see we can feel it we can measure it that's all that there is but if you go throughout history you know, you talk to somebody 200 years ago. No, you're actually made up of cells and bacteria. And inside of those cells and bacteria, there's atoms. And inside of those atoms, there's smaller part- particles. They think you're fucking nuts. Yeah. You know, but because they couldn't experience that world. Then we started getting microscopes and we started saying, holy shit, you know, things are made up of smaller things. So for us to think that what we know now is the be all end all is, again, just that stupid human arrogance. So when you do experiment with things like DMT, we might not understand what the hell we just saw, but it shows us that there's other bizarre things that we have not discovered. And, you know, it's, it's like peeling back layers of an onion. Life is just really bizarre. The, the more, the more we understand, the weirder it gets. So DMT, like you really felt that you were kind of transitioned into an alter, like a different reality or a different dimension? Is that is that the way yeah. it really feels? Yeah, the first, the first time I tried, it's strange because you actually, I feel like, at least in my experiences, that you do have some control the first time. Like, I got so freaked out by what was going on that I actually stopped the experience and came back. Because I actually... It oh, that's good. Like my, yeah, it actually felt like my spirit was leaving the body. Oh, and man. I was like, holy shit. And, and I was just like, I was just weirded out by it. And I said, I need to go back. And I, and I instantly came back, popped up, and I was sober. Wow, you know, was that's like, so much better than over. acid. Dude, if you're doing that in acid, you're screwed. There's no, there is no popping back. Yeah. <laughs> there is, you're exactly. in there for eight hours, buddy. I time all of them. They're about five minutes. That's it. And wow. Yeah. So the first three times, I I I I just freaked, I got too nervous and couldn't, you know, what they say like walk through the door, or go through the the portal, or whatever you want to call it. But I did see incredibly strange things, and that's what uh, what what does happen. And this is, you know, I've I've actually um, used some friends as um, kind of like guinea pigs where they don't know anything about DNA, where I have researched it a lot. So I was like, am I seeing certain things? Because that thought had been implanted in my mind by people like Bill Rogan or like the Spirit Molecule documentary. Yeah. So I gave it, I gave it to other people and we've all experienced this. There's one universal experience where if your eyes are open, 
your physical world starts to break up into molecular patterns. Whoa. And the molecular patterns vibrate, and they have their own patterns within them. And it's, it's like your physical world is broken apart into a non-physical like form of, of just vibrating molecular energy or something. Wow. But when I, when I finally went all the way through... The, the best way I could describe it is that it actually felt like um, I had died physically and I was, you know, shot off into, it seems like the universe and basically melted into like the fabric of the universe. And what was really strange is I had lost all connection to myself. I, as I started coming back, I didn't know that I was a human being. I didn't know that my name was Vaughn. I didn't know I had a wife. I didn't know I had a family. Every human experience disappeared. And as I started to come back, drop by drop, it started to come back and I started to feel human again. Wow. And when I was, the, the best way I could describe it is it felt like on earth, I'm a droplet of water. And when I'm out in the, when I'm out of the body in the universe, that droplet of water gets dropped back into the ocean, and I melt in with the rest of the universe. And what's that like, and though? Bit, what's that? What does that feel like to melt into the rest of the universe? Is that is that something you can even put into words, or is it like do you do you just like all of a sudden how does your perspective and vision broaden, or do you feel smaller or larger? Like, does any of that make sense? Smaller. Smaller. Uh, I, I guess smaller, but that was my first experience too. And it was, and I was shown many things that there's no, I cannot remember them. You know, it was, it was the things I was shown to was so far beyond my understanding of, 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 of what I was being shown that I had no idea what I was being shown, but I know that there were many, it looked very scientific things that were being shown to me. And the experience was just, when I came back, it, in a way it was sad because as human beings, we're so tied to our sense of individual identity that to have it stripped from you when I came back, I was like, whoa. I was like, over there, you know, I forgot who I was. And, and I was kind of like, that kind of like, in a way, bummed me out. But I just saw a glimpse of that other side. And like I said, so much of what I was shown, I don't remember. But, you know, I've also... I've only had two experiences where I went all the way. And then the other experience was so beautiful where I, I felt like I had a, um, a spirit came, came to me. And it was the most, one of the most beautiful experiences of my entire life. So, really? You know. So when you say yeah, a spirit I mean, came to you, was it in a, in a certain form of, of any kind? Well, this is, this is what, what really was cool about it is that it had, it wasn't of any physical form and it was no, um, image of, of a spirit that we've ever been shown would represent what I saw. What I saw looked like it was made of kind of like a liquid smoke. Oh, wow. And within that liquid smoke, there were these tiny little molecules that made up a, like almost like strands, like, I don't know, maybe like a DNA strand. Wow. And these little strands were, were what made it within that smoky form, what it gave it some sort of a shape. But it kept morphing and changing shapes, and then that you know that that tunnel of light that people talk about when they die, it yeah. just blasted. It was like the most intense light that I've ever experienced. <laughs> and I was telling the being like, "I want to go with you into that light." You know, in my head, I was saying this. Yeah. And um, the being just kind of like soothed me and like just 
felt like it, it put its liquid smoke like right into my brain and like just shot like this this very beautiful feeling of of calmness and love into me and then it just kind of went away wow. and I was like that was just so incredibly strange and I'm like was that my mind making this shit up or did I really experience something from another dimension you know it's to discount one or to fully believe in one would be wrong you know yeah, like, we, yeah. I cannot say this is definitely a spirit or this is nothing more than your mind hallucinating we got to be open to either one or the other as both being possible realities. Yeah. And that, like the spirit molecule documentary, that's what everybody said. They, they all said they felt like they were transferred into that, whatever that next dimension is. DMT is supposed to be in everything. It's supposed to be in our brain, supposedly. Mm-hmm. So is that something that you think that, that we almost need for a deeper understanding of what we're all kind of going through? I I think that I well my hope and my my belief, which is not a concrete belief because you know there's no absolutes that we know of. Um, my belief is that yeah, it's it's something that really helps give us uh, more insight into life and why we're on this planet. And um, I do think it, at least in my experience, I do think it was a, a very important. Um, lesson in life and i and i do plan to keep doing it periodically but not to abuse it you know mm-hmm. it's and i take at least a couple months in between um a session you know i don't want to treat it like smoking weed where it's just like yeah i feel like you know smoking and i think this is like it's a very powerful substance that needs to be respected mm-hmm. but i do think it holds a lot of valuable lessons and i don't think you need to do dmt i actually think that you can achieve the same results through maybe years of of practicing meditation because after doing dmt i started trying to meditate it's really difficult to and the only reason that i've had the the um afforded to to stick with meditation is because of what I've seen through DMT is that there really is some shit that you will see when you, when you train yourself to meditate. I've seen glimpses of, of the same, uh, basically the beginnings of a DMT experience, the same feeling, the same, you know, the, the, the feeling of starting to like feeling like you're exiting the body, although I can't fully get there, you know, because as soon as you go, holy shit, that's weird. In meditation, it ends, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like start back at the beginning. I I was really into meditation for a while, and now I just do it sporadically because when I was really into it, and this is not smoking weed or anything, though I do smoke weed, and I will meditate now after smoking weed because it's pretty awesome. But back then, yeah. I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't smoking weed and meditating, but I was doing it very often. And all the challenges you brought up are, are really there. But once you kind of break it's like coming through a forest you know when you come to like a pasture of some kind and you get through all this brush which is all the the information just racing through your brain all like the this crazy stuff but i felt like the the weight of my body no longer existed the 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 feeling of my ass no longer was on the floor there was no gravity on my shoulders anything and it was like a, a a weird feeling of almost floating and i've had that kind of experience on on lsd too but it wasn't as calm. It was kind of crazy. So the, the DMT thing, that's what I'm kind of wondering. Like if these 
these people that study Buddhism or these deep yogis or whatever that that go into these really psychedelic trance states, so they claim through meditation, like it can be achieved. But goddamn, man, it takes a long time to get there. Yeah, and and in DMT, I, 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 it's like the American version of spirituality. We love instant gratification yeah. in this country. <laughs> so years of work through meditation. Fuck that. I'm gonna smoke some DMT and blast <laughs> off in two minutes. You know, so it, it's great. And, and and the other thing is, is when when I uh, listen to YouTube clips of, of people talking about, you know, like really deep meditative experiences, I'm like, you sound, that sounds exactly like what I just went through with DMT. So I do think that, and by the way, Dr. Rick Strassman, who did the Spirit Molecule, I heard him on a radio show saying that he also believes we also um, produce DMT in our lungs. And if you think about meditation, what we're doing is oh, yeah. we're we're meditating through breathing. And I thought, you know, when I started picking up um, meditation, I said that that makes some sense because when you breathe right, you start to get that same ex- sort of feeling in your body as you do at the start of a DMT experience. So it's it's really bizarre that there's this uh, substance, this molecule that's abundant in nature, and yet you know, this Western science does not understand its purpose. You know, maybe its purpose is the connection on of, of the world, of the universe, in, um, in, a, in a different level, in a different dimensional plane. So when you do it, do you have somebody that's sitting there with you to make sure you're okay, or do you actually just do, you just do it in, in a room yeah, by yourself? No, I, I actually do it... Um, I, I, the first time I did it, I did it with friends. It was not in a good setting. It was actually at a um, lightning in a bottle, which is a, like there was like over 10,000 people. Yeah, we just lied down on the grass and did it. Not a good place to do it. Um, <laughs> so now when I do it, I do it with my wife. I do it at home. You want to be in the most comfortable spot, like your comfort spot. Uh-huh. You know, your couch, your bed, whatever. And you want somebody there because when you start doing it, you lose function, like your, your motor skills go in the toilet. And, you know, I've, you know, dropped the, the, the pipe on my chest or whatever. And, you know, somebody has to come and grab it. So I don't burn myself. So, you know, you want somebody there. It'll make you feel more comfortable. You want to just be in the most comfortable spot that exists for you. It's really important. Set and setting for DMT is huge. Otherwise you might freak the fuck out. Have you ever done salvia? I, honestly, I haven't. No, I I went straight from weed to DMT because I'm not big into getting fucked up. Yeah. But to me, like I don't drink. I drink maybe once a year. Okay. You know, I smoke weed to to mellow me out at night, helps me sleep and stuff. Yeah. But I'm not big on getting wasted. DMT is something I studied for a couple of years. Um, as much as information as I can, and I just said this is more than this isn't a drug to to um, dull my senses. I, I, I think this is the opposite. I think this is going to um, teach me things about myself. So, so I, I did it for the reason of, you know, trying to, to learn about myself and about the universe. Okay, because the reason I asked about salvia too is because I don't know if you've ever seen those videos. I've never done it, so I've seen videos of people kind of acting out their salvia hallucination, which it seems mm-hmm. horrifying at times. Now, with DMT, it seems, I, watching those videos, I'm like, I'm never doing salvia ever. But um, yeah. DM, DMT, though, is there is there any kind of 
that salvia thing where you have a possibility of getting up and doing something crazy? Are you just locked on a couch or a chair? Um, you know, I can speak of my experiences and the experiences that I've gotten from friends. And uh, it's like falling asleep. Your body's asleep, okay. but your mind is awake. Honestly, once I'm deep into it, I don't even think I have any, well, I have very limited control of what my body, you know, can do. So it's kind of, yeah, your body's more numbed out. It actually feels like, you know, one time, um, it was my second time doing it. Um, and the thing that freaked me out the first time was it feels like you, you like Vaughn is leaving the, the body. And the second time I did it, same thing happened. I, I, I they said you should take three really big hits of it. And after the second hit, I felt that separation. And again, I didn't go any further, but what happened was, is it, I felt like my, my, my spiritual self had left the body and for the first time I, I made that connection I go my body is not me my body is like my car I get into it and mm-hmm. it takes me where I need to go in this world and I also had the thought of because I was sitting down that time and I said I don't know if I can stop myself from falling over if I was going to fall over and then as soon as I thought that zoop, I went back into my body Oh, and after okay. that, I said, I'm going to do it lying down so that I, I, I don't freak myself out. And when I lie down, I, now I just, whoop, I just, I just leave the body because I'm not afraid of, of, you know, my body like falling over or something. Okay. How, how is it bringing back to the artwork here? How has the DMT uh, experience oh, now like, altered your, your artwork? To- so, um, What's going on with my, my show is going to have like two sides to the coin. One is going to be a continuation of a lot of what you've seen, which is the physical world. You know, the physical world is like we were talking about earlier. From the moment that sperm, you know, races to to um, to the ovaries, it's a battle for life. One trying to outdo the other, and life's a battle. The physical world is a struggle, and that's what I show more in those paintings. Then when I, um, on the other side of the coin, the paintings I'm going to be showing, which are influenced by DMT, are the, the paintings to represent what I've seen, that there is more to existence than the physical world that we encounter. And those, those are more beautiful experiences to me. I mean, this, the, the, the spiritual world, for all I know, could be just like this, where it's, you know, opposing forces, good and evil, you know, for lack of a better term. But, you know, I think that true beauty is more likely to be found in in a spiritual um, existence uh, or that spiritual part of us. So that's, that DMT experience is going to help me to explain my thoughts on beauty and love and peace and things of that nature, which contrast the, the other things I've been showing for the majority of my career. I just want to get really weird with that stuff. And actually, I have done a few collaboration paintings. Actually, one that we call DMT. I don't know if you're familiar with John Park. No, I'll look him up, though. Uh, yeah, John Park is, is a really dope artist and a really interesting guy. We have very different styles. So we've done like six collaboration paintings in the last year. And one of them we called DMT because um, it was heavily influenced by both of our DMT experiences. And then there's 
another one that we called um, You Can Never Go Back, which is a spinoff The Matrix, um, because I have a, a guy who's dumping out a bottle of pills, and they're red pills and blue pills. But that guy's got a third eye in his forehead, and his 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 real eyes are, are gone. I did so, see that. That was awesome. You know, yeah, we did that at Lightning in a Bottle, which actually was my first DMG experience. So, you know, I was so influenced by DMG um, to create something that kind of gave me that that feeling of, of the experience that, you know, John and I um, did two paintings shortly after, you know, to to represent that. You have a lot of kind of like uh, almost political kind of messages. I shouldn't say almost. Like, there are mm-hmm. some political messages on your in your uh, paintings. So how, what is it like now going from that to that DMT trip and then kind of like coming back, does the violence and all the, the war and all the, the, the greed and corruption, does it just seem more absurd now that you've had the DMT yeah. trip? Yeah. It just, it just blows my mind away. And then, you know, there's, there's a part of me that says, you know, why do we act this way? I mean, but then there's that, I've come to realize also that, you know, we were, for some sick reason, we were designed to be this way. And all of nature is, like, we're again, we're like going back to the, to the analogy of the sperm, or you look at anything, we say, oh, that, that flower is so beautiful. But that flower had to compete with other flowers that could, you know, because they actually compete for sunlight. They compete for mm-hmm. nutrients in the ground and stuff. Everything is killing each one another, fighting one another, you know, it's like this existence that we're in right now is all about competition and, you know, when I look at human beings and what they're doing, I, I, it, it really saddens me. But for some reason, we were designed to act this way and it, as much as I hate it, it's, it's, we have to roll with it, you know, and it, it, it breaks my heart, but it also, I don't really know if you can change it. How much did your like mom's experience escaping from Baghdad and influence your your view, especially through your artwork? Yeah, I mean it's it, it's huge because I'm like, well, you know what? If my mom hadn't gotten away, she might be dead right now, you know. And it's it's just really. Odd. I mean, I have relatives that lived through both wars, and um, the, the last of my relatives just got out. And, um, are now, um, in Canada, they just, and the things that they tell me about what they've seen and just the the death on like such a massive scale, you know, you, we're not talking about like a dead guy on the street. We're talking about a blown up neighborhood with body parts and dead people everywhere, you know, starvation, um, no medicine, cancer, deformed children. I mean, the list just goes on and on. I mean, the statistics, I did research on the statistics of the war. And if you go back to the, from the start of the first war in 91 till today, between um, deaths from, you know, a violent military action and then the deaths from sanctions, it's it's over 4 million, according to, um, these are, you know, official numbers from government agencies and um, UNICEF and places like that. And, like, you, you've got half of the country's children are orphans. And, you know, you've got people that are going to be dying for the next 20 years from depleted uranium. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's basically like a country that's going to take possibly 
several generations to regain its sanity, you know, and it's, it's just, it's just madness, you know, to me, it's just, it's, it's, it's really heartbreaking, you know? It is. So what is, what are your relatives perspective of, of America, uh, both cold, both like culturally and politically? So I'm, I'm assuming it's probably two different perspectives, I hope. You know, you know what's a really odd thing is that they try not to even discuss it, like in terms of the politics. I think it's so such a sore point to them that, you know, like my mom's um, cousin, he's he's like a shell shocked um, individual, and and I don't think they even, I think they want to forget it. I don't think they even want to deal with it, and it, it's hard to even discuss these types of things with them. But I think that a huge part of the world, you know, we're not even talking about the Middle East where you can go to Europe. There's so many people that are vocal and say that your government has fucked up the world, you know? And I don't blame them. And I don't necessarily blame America. I, I think that the people that control the world are not Americans. They're not... They're, they're 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 the world's most powerful people, and they don't. To me, they don't really have countries. I mean, they the people who own the Federal Reserve Bank that prints our money are rumored to be the majority of them are rumored to be in Europe. You know, so you know the people who really pull the strings to say to America, "You go to war or whatever." I, I tend to think they're more private interests, private bankers, and mm-hmm. and people who who hold the the world's power. So I don't blame. America, I blame the human beings that feel the the need to to use a military to 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 get what they want, and I also do hold us um, to some degree responsible for for allowing it because without us sending our kids to go fight, there wouldn't be a war. We teach our kids, "Thou shalt not kill." You know, it's it's Easter, <laughs> yeah. and if and if you are a Christian, my my beliefs aren't of one or the other. I don't believe in one this one religion over another, but it says thou shalt not kill. But when your president says go kill women, children, men, blow them up for, because like we said, so we tell our kids that's okay. That doesn't make sense. No. You know, which one is it? There's, there seems to be an obvious ruse going on all over the world, and especially in America where we get to see it. Um, on television, just the manipulation of all three news organizations that claim to be 24-hour news. You know, like, our overlords, these world overlords, kind of let us choose social issues, but the major mm-hmm. issues was going to be passed by either one of them. All these drone strikes is going to be passed by anybody that gets in there. I don't know if everybody's yeah. fake or once you get in there, it's like it's like that joke where they show you, I think it was Bill Hicks that said they show you the JFK assassination video, like... <laughs> Either you do what we do, you know, do what we say, or that's going to happen to you. I believe exactly what you said, and I mean, you're the first person I've heard say it too uh, um, that we get to choose the little things, but the big things are all decided. And I do think if you're going to become president, you have to play ball. You know, I, I don't think you're going to be, you're going to be crucified in the media. I believe if you don't choose to play ball. Um, Democracy is the illusion of choice. Because if, if you, you know, I, I do believe that the people who, um, you know, are the most powerful people in the world are students of history. And they'll say, well, we tried communism, that shit didn't work. We tried, um, you know, fascism, that didn't work. But when people feel like they're in control, 
they're happy, mm-hmm. you know? Let's let people think they're happy. Let's let's give them this guy and this guy, and both guys do what we want. But they'll get to choose the, the social issues. But everything that we are interested in, whether it's Republican or Democrat, it's going to happen regardless, you know? So, and you can hear, like, presidents, ex-presidents, if you go back and pass, warn you about this, you know? Uh, was it Roosevelt? Eisenhower? Um where Eisenhower, my yeah, bad. Yeah, the industrial complex. Was, mm-hmm. And you, you look at JFK. Um, he refused to invade Vietnam, and and um, he was killed. You know, whether you can say he was killed by the the same people, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that. I don't know who killed him. It's, it's bullshit when you say there's a magic bullet that can pass through multiple directions. <laughs> you know right there. So this is how like much they think we're stupid. They're like, we can just tell them it's a magic bullet. It's a magic bullet. They don't believe yeah. anything. We just they just keep lying and they just keep lying and keep lying. Even when they're called out on their lie and they you prove it, like, look, you can you tell you're lying right here. But they're like, no, we're just keep gonna keep lying. Sorry, we're just gonna keep lying. Sorry. Yeah. If you if you study Lyndon Johnson, I mean he he put the war in effect. Mm-hmm. But somewhere along the line, that, that man seemed to have got it, some sort of conscience. And he refused. they said, we need another 200,000 or 250,000 troops. He says he, he refused to send another 250,000 troops. Two weeks later, he resigned, the first president to resign, you know? There's a lot of pressure where a president can't stop um, something like that from happening, you know? And then Nixon gets in there and, you know, the war goes on, you know? so. Yeah, you know, it's business as usual. Where do you get your information from? Do you have a, a certain news source that you rely on the most? No. I, I I think that following any one source is is is, is wrong. Yeah. I actually will listen to I will listen to as much as I, I don't want to, I will listen to CNN and I will listen to Fox News. So I'll say, okay, I got this point of view. Then I can listen to like Russia Today. Um, which will give you the complete opposite point of view. Mm-hmm. I'll listen to lectures, and I'll just kind of say, which I'll, it's like putting together a puzzle. You know, this guy has an agenda on the right. This guy has an agenda on the left. Um, who's telling me the truth? And in the end, you just kind of say, this makes more sense to me. You know, mm-hmm. this seems more plausible because of you know all the things that all the little information that's in my head on what's going on in the world says that this is probably more truthful so i really get my information from as many sources as i can and i try to come up with what makes sense to me and that doesn't mean that it's correct you know i'm going to be wrong a lot of the time but i'm trying to come up with my own ideas instead of letting somebody dictate my ideas yeah but uh yeah, this has been yeah, great, man. And one thing I want to say before I leave is that anything I say, I, I definitely apologize if I say anything that um, bothers anybody out there because I, my intention is not to, if my view is different than, than yours, my intention is not to upset you. I could be wrong with some of the things that I say, um, but it, my, my um, fundamental belief is that everything I do, right or wrong, is to try to uh, promote a more peaceful existence in this world. So if I incite anger, that's the opposite of what I'm trying to do. So if I say something that's controversial or a little bit angry, please forgive me if I'm incorrect, you know, and, you know, I'm only human.
Yeah, no, that's a great point. I agree. I second that. <laughs> I don't want to piss anybody off either. You know, I like the idea of questioning authority, questioning everything. And um, I feel like that's all we did, really. I mean, we're too harsh. Cool. But um, well, I, I I appreciate I appreciate the time, and I, I appreciate um, your insight. Yeah, definitely. I I like doing these because I mean, your artwork just come. It just adds to the to the message. You know, it adds to like your understanding of of what your point of view is, and makes the paintings better to me. Cool. Well, I really appreciate it. I hope um, the people listening, you know, appreciate and, you know, all, all peace, love to uh, to everybody out there. You know, uh, that's all I'm, I really want to promote, you know, even though I might have a crazy way of showing it. You know, the bottom line is I, I want the world to be a better place and um, our existence to be as enjoyable as possible, you know, this this journey in life should be pleasant. It shouldn't be shouldn't be, you know, violent. It shouldn't be it should be something that is beautiful, as beautiful as possible. So, you know, let's try to like be good to one another, be good to the planet and, you know, leave a better place leave the world a little better rather than, you know, a hot mess when when we exit this life. Yeah, man. We both have kids. You have a kid on the way. Yeah, definitely want on the way, you know. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really trying to, uh, to better myself and to better my community because that's the the child, that's the place my child's gonna grow up in. So you yeah. know, if we love our kids, we we definitely don't want to um, promote something that can, even if it doesn't hurt us, it might hurt our children. Yeah, exactly, man. Well, it was great talking to you, and I uh, will definitely be open Thanks, for a part two in the future, and uh... yes, sir.